had an opportunity to give us some feedback and let us know what were the subjects, the topics that you wanted us to preach on in the month of June. There was a ballot with a bunch of different topics on there. You picked your uh, top ones, and we chose the top five most voted upon topics, and those have become the subject of everything we're preaching on this month. And so for today, the topic that was chosen was the topic of science and faith. Can they survive together? Can they exist apart? This is a hot topic in our culture today. Uh, Between those who say that if you are truly a rational, scientific mind, there's really no room for faith. And people on the other side, people of faith who are skeptical of science and fear that it's something that will undermine what it is we believe. And so I think it's right that, that we take some time to talk about this. But before we do, I also think it's right that we allow God to prepare us to hear what he has to say. So I would invite you to please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord God, indeed, the heavens declare the works of your hands. All creation, Lord, points to you and sings songs of your glory. And so as we are gathered together this morning to indeed sing songs of your glory, we ask that you would also give us wisdom and insight, that your Holy Spirit, who hovered over the face of the waters of creation, would enlighten our minds and our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear open minds to understand, and open hearts to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to think of things that are really good on their own, but they're even better when you put them together. Things like, you know, uh, cheeseburgers and bacon. They're really, really good on their own, but then when you put them together, you have the bacon cheeseburger, which I think is one of the greatest, most divine gifts given to man. (laughs) Or or what about this one? Uh, Wine and chocolate, okay? Uh, Both good things on their own, but then when you put them together, you have like a date night in, okay? Wine and chocolate. Now, I realize that both of these are like food illustrations, which is why you should never prepare your sermon during the lunch hour. So I I had to stretch and try to think of something non-food related. Things that are good on their own but better together. And so I was thinking about this one. You take a violin and an oboe. Both beautiful instruments on their own can make amazing music. But you put them in the context of a symphony orchestra. And you have music magic. Something far more beautiful than any of those instruments on their own could produce. You see, there are many things in this world that, yes, they're good on their own, but they're better together. And yet, when it comes to this question of science and faith, I think that there are many people who would say that those two things don't go together. That actually they mix as well as water and oil mix. That they, that they really aren't very, uh, that they, while each of them might have their merits on their own, together they, they're really just not that good. They don't go together like cheeseburgers and bacon. And so the question is, is that true? Is that actually what, when we really reflect on it, is the best way to understand the relationship between these two things? And what I want to argue this morning is that actually science and faith are both good on their own, but they really are better together. One of the things I find amazing is as I read through the scriptures, how often it is that the scriptures speak about the beauty of the natural world. That they actually invite us to gaze upon the heavens, to investigate what we see around us. One of my favorites is Psalm 8. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and yet crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not only a beautiful psalm, but an incredible meditation on the beauty and diversity of nature. Meditating on the moon and the stars that God has set in place. Looking around at, at, and at all of the plant and animal life, we see the incredible biodiversity of our world. You see, over and over again, as you actually read through Scripture, what you find is an invitation to explore what God's hands have made. In fact, I can think of no better definition of what science truly is. It's the exploration of what has been created. And through that exploration, some amazing things have been discovered. I think of three things in particular that I'm particularly proud that science has given us. The first being medicine. The insight into the human body and how to address our various ailments and sicknesses, I think, is an incredible gift to our world. Likewise, I'm, I'm appreciative uh, before I go out of the door in the morning to have something like radar that kind of lets me know what the weather is going to be that day, or at least what the meteorologists think it will be. Some days they're a little surprised. But I love the fact that we can actually know, is it going to rain today? What will the temperature be? Do I need a coat? Do I need uh, an umbrella? Do I live in Illinois where it constantly rains all the time and we have yet to see the sun? These are great things to know about. Or I think about like what it takes for me to get to work. The fact that I can drive in an automobile. I mean, have you thought about this for a second? The amount of like physics and engineering and mathematics that go into making that four-wheeled contraption work. It's just incredible. It's awe-inspiring how much thought and human ingenuity has gone into something that we take for granted and yet have access to every single day. Science has given us some great gifts, but remember that, that definition, science really being the exploration of what has been created. And when I kind of approach it from that end, what I find is it actually strengthens my faith. I am amazed at what we have learned through our study of space and astronomy. How through the examination of the universe in all of its vast array has highlighted the uniqueness of this tiny blue ball that we live on. No wonder that the Apollo 8 astronauts, as they came around the dark side of the moon and saw Earth in their window, their first thing, their first instinct was to read the opening lines of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. And I stand in awe of the fact that we who are so small against the vastness of space, God has yet set his eye upon us. Truly incredible and awe-inspiring. Right? I love watching things like BBC Earth and National Geographic where we see all of these different kinds of animals and, and the rich biodiversity of our world and, and how they, they live in kind of harmony and, and balance with each other and how precious and fragile our ecosystems are. And it just it blows my mind at just the complexity and the beauty of it all. Or right, I think about the amazing gift of the ultrasound. Through science, we can actually affirm that, yes, life does begin at conception. 
That before any of my three kids were born into this world, my wife and I got to meet them through that little image on the screen. That we could see them moving, hear their heartbeats, and give them their name. It's amazing gifts that science has given us, this incredible invitation to explore what God has made. It's truly awe-inspiring. And I, I can't help but think of the words of the, of the noted astrophysicist Jennifer Wiseman who says this. She says, God is responsible for everything. So by studying more of nature, you're actually enriching your understanding of God. How true that is. That the more and more I look at, at nature, I'm just amazed at what it, the ways in which it points me to questions so much deeper and more profound. I think it is notable that Stephen Hawking in his book, A Brief History of Time, says this. He asks the question, what is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? Words written by a scientist and yet worthy of a psalmist. The fact that this man looking at the universe would suddenly break into words that sound like poetry. Because you see, one of the amazing things about exploring the natural world is that it does point us to those deeper questions. We want to know how is it that all of this is here and for what purpose? That when a guy like Hawking looks around and he sees all of the complexity of the universe and how fine-tuned it is and how amazing it is that there are things like equations and laws that dictate everything, he has to wonder, who made that? Who breathed fire into those equations? Who fashioned a universe for them to describe? And the answer from Scripture is that God did. That when we, through scientific inquiry, begin to say things like, I wonder if there is a creator. I mean, for all of this to happen, who set the laws of the universe? We, we long to know if there is a lawgiver. And what scripture says is, yes, there is. For in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And the light he called day and the darkness he called night. The Lord saw that the light was good and there was evening and morning the first day. And through scientific inquiry, we wonder, is it possible that there's an author, a maker? Scripture responds with the affirmative, yes, there is. That those aren't simply irrational thoughts from an unevolved mind, but rather that when we as human beings look to the heavens and wonder, what Scripture tells us is that that wonder is there for a reason. It's a signpost, a marker, pointing us to the fact that there is one who made all things even Stephen Hawking, a guy who was uh, at best agnostic about a creator, had to admit that the overwhelming impression of the universe is one of order. The more we discover about the universe, we more, the more we find that it is governed by rational laws. That the questions that science often raises are the very questions to which religion and faith seek to find answers and provide insight and depth of meaning all on their own. The question of purpose, is there a purpose for my life and for this world? 
Is it possible that something that seems so well-designed has an actual telos, an actual reason for being here? The answer is yes, it does. When we long to, to know, is there something called justice? That when I look at human beings and all their diversity and wonder, what does it mean for us to live as a society, to be governed well, to ensure that everybody from the greatest to the least is judged appropriately, where do we find that? When even in the midst of life's sufferings, we wonder, is the universe cruel or is there ultimately relief? Is there hope? Is there purpose? It's to religion that we turn because it is in faith that we find that there is indeed purpose. There is something called justice and there is a hope which speaks to the deepest longings of our hearts. Questions that sometimes science can ask, but answers which only God can provide find it notable that the civil rights movement wasn't kicked off by a bunch of geneticists. It was kicked off by a pastor named Martin Luther King Jr., who when he looked at human beings and even some in the scientific community tried to divide us on the basis of physical characteristics like race, who dared to propose based on the theory of evolution that some races were more advanced than others. It was Martin Luther King who said, no, human beings are made in the image of God and it is on that basis that I believe truly all men are created equal. That's where we turn for that question about justice. That in the midst of our suffering, when a doctor stands at a bedside and realizes that he's come to the end, come to the end of what he can offer his patient, that he has no more medicine or procedures to, uh, to give them, that it looks like the, the, ho- that the, the end of their life is near, and they ask the question, is there more than this? It is the answer of faith that says Yes. For just as you were made in God's image, so you will rise again to new life through his son. See, we long to know the one who made all these things and to know if he has answers for the deepest longings of the human heart. And again, I think that's no accident. I love that Albert Einstein lays out what the relationship between science and faith are. He says this, science can only be created by those who are thoroughly imbued with the aspiration towards truth and understanding. This source of feeling, however, springs from the sphere of religion. I cannot conceive a genuine man of science without that profound faith. The situation may be expressed by an image. Science without religion is lame, but religion without science is blind. The science without religion is lame. We can learn a lot about our world, but to know how do we best use that knowledge so that it promotes human flourishing? How is it that we can marshal our greatest scientific insights and resources for the benefit of humankind? What is the purpose for which we have the natural sciences? Einstein says we need religion to answer that question. For science without religion is lame. It is unable to help human beings answer the questions that are most needed without faith. And yet at the same time, he says, religion without science is blind. Science can open our eyes to the beauty and the majesty that are proclaimed in the words of the psalmist. The more that we look at the heavens, the more we see that God has indeed set his glory there. We need both. Science and faith are great. They're amazing. They're wonderful. But when you put them together, you have something truly special, something truly God 
given. And I find it interesting that often it is the greatest thinkers in the sciences who came from a position of faith. Copernicus, Galileo, two great men of faith who opened our eyes to the heavens. Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, mathematicians who helped us to understand the equations and and the physics that, that make our world turn. Men of faith. Over and over again, what we've seen throughout history is that not only are science and faith compatible, they're better together. That they spur each other on to a greater seeking, a greater journey to seek out the one who made us to know him and to enter into a relationship with him. I think one of our best modern examples of this is actually the man who was the head of the Human Genome Project, a guy by the name of Francis Collins. And I want you to listen as he tells in his own words the relationship that science and faith have played for him in his own journey. I want you to listen to this. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis, and that in fact, 
given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. Did you catch what he said? A journey ultimately led me to the person of Jesus Christ. That as he sought out answers to the deepest questions of life, as he looked at the universe and as he looked at everything that his scientific mind had trained him to look for, he couldn't escape the fact that there seems to not only be a God, but a God who's personal, a God who desires to be known. Which is why I find it so interesting then in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the greatest minds of his day, speaking in Athens at the Areopagus, says this. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a date when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What I love is, as Paul says, we look at the heavens, we look at all that has been made, and we know that there is a God who made it all. That he fashioned every single person on this planet in his image, and his desire is that we would know him. And yet he's not far from each one of us. He says, if you want to know the God who made all this, the God who created you in his image, the one who has a purpose for your life, then you need only look at the one whom he has sent. You need only look at Jesus Christ because it's only in Jesus that you're fully going to encounter the character of God to truly understand his purposes for your life. We can stand in wonder at all God has made, but if we don't understand the heart and the intention of the one who created it, we're just gonna be, continue grasping in the dark Paul says those times of ignorance, it's time for them to come to an end. It's time for us to know the God who made us, and you can. God has given proofs of himself through Jesus. 
I love how Francis Collins said it. It was in Jesus that I realized how well documented his life was. But more than that, how well documented his resurrection is. And because of that, it changed everything for him. He suddenly realized that the God who fashioned the cosmos was willing to enter into it. That he loved his creation so much that he embraced it and took it upon himself. That he was willing to leave his throne in heaven and become one of us. And Jesus says, if you're looking for God, know that you're only looking because he's looking for you. Because he has pursued us. The reason why we can look to the heavens and see his glory is because he desires that we would know him. And he enters into a personal relationship with each of us through Jesus. I love what Jesus says when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. See, he's kind of quoting from Deuteronomy 6.5, that Old Testament book where God lays down his laws, but Jesus adds something. In Deuteronomy, it simply says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It's Jesus who adds mind. So God has fashioned you with, a, with a, an inquisitive mind. He's given us the gift of the sciences so that we can explore all that he has made. But the ultimate purpose of that exploration is that you would come to know him. For it is in Christ that you encounter God's heart, God's love, and God's purposes for us. See, science and faith, they're good on their own, but they are so much better together. Praise be to our God who is indeed the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of our lives and of the world. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we say amen.